Hello, and welcome back to the Higher Gear CIO podcast series. I'm Kelly Kierens, president of Celtic QA Solutions. In today's segment, Walt Carter, Pat Rombaletti, and John Vineyard dive deeper into their conversation about culture. Culture. And I think, uh, you know, this is another one of those places where I don't know how you avoid the culture conversation. You don't. But, you have to. but I want to go back, Pat, to something you said a minute ago, which, which is about evaluating the culture and evaluating people to add in as if, you know, we've always got to have somebody that fits the culture. And, and I would submit to you that, you know, maybe sometimes you need to hire somebody that's a disruptive force. Uh, you want to move your culture in a different direction. Maybe there's some things about your culture that aren't working so well, frankly, and you need to bring some fresh blood into the mix. Uh, you know, I would love to hear your comments on that. Yeah, so um, I've coached a lot of people. I just was talking to somebody last night who was brought into a massive role in the city of New York, and um, she's been brought in essentially to drive change. And the only, the only good thing about that right now for her is that the CEO is the one that brought her in and the CEO is committed to the change, right? So she is fighting a very uphill battle of people in that organization who just love the status quo. We've always done it this way is their motto. Um, and, and she's fighting it, but she has what I call air cover. Um, and, and the CEO is making it quite clear that it is not that person's mission. It is her mission and the mission of the company, right? Where it, where that's the exception. So yes, companies will say, we're going to hire a disruptor. We're going to hire somebody to shake things up. But if they don't commit to giving that person the support that they need, because they're going to be taking arrows to the back every single day until there's that transformation. Um, and I have just seen so many executives, I wouldn't say fail, just say, I'm done. I'm done. I got no air cover. You want me to carve a new path forward. And I got nobody um, uh, leading the way in terms of saying this is the, the direction of this company, right? So mm -hmm. I'm very cautious when I'm coaching somebody taking a role and they say, oh, I want you to be the disruptor. I said, do not accept that role until you have commitment from leadership that you have air cover for that mission. Um, it's a fool's folly mission if you don't have that. So I love that when they bring somebody in like that, but boy, they've got to have a commitment to allowing that disruptor to disrupt. And so I, I had somebody explain that to me one time as... John, hold on just a second. I, I'm sorry. I, I had a situation, Pat, a few years ago where, where I literally was hired to, to be a, a change agent. Uh, and and, and the, the guy that hired me committed that he had that air cover for me. Um, three months after I got there, he lost his job. The CEO of that organization came to me and said, well, I understand why you were hired and I understand that, you know, you just lost your air cover. I get that. Uh, I really want you to stay. I really want you to continue, uh, but I'm going to put another one of my guys in this key role above you because he knows where all the bodies are buried and uh, we need to get this stuff rooted out pretty quickly. And in six months, you and I'll come back and we'll have this conversation again about the role that we originally brought you in for. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so three months goes by and that CEO was handed his, his walking papers by the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so 
I will just tell you the, the short version of the stories. I didn't stay very long after that. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. Uh, but yeah, that I've seen, I've experienced it personally. I know exactly what you're That's talking true. about. And sometimes even with the commitment, you're going to lose the air cover anyway. So you really need to be careful about making those kinds of calls. I exactly. think. And I'm, John, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I, I was going to comment on Pat's uh, uh, thoughts. Uh, somebody uh, described it to me this way one time, Pat. Uh, on the battlefield, you can get to one place to another place by standing up and running very quickly. But you make a heck of a target. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. But uh, let me go back to something Walt was saying, because he was talking about the balance between your people and, and your mission. Uh, one of the things every leadership system has that I've ever seen is at the center of it are your stakeholders. And the first thing a leader has to do is understand stakeholder requirements. From that, you have to set direction. I talked earlier about the CEO sets direction for 15 years, the, the uh, janitorial supervisor sets direction for 15 minutes. They both have to set direction. They both have a multi-stakeholder environment. I've got to understand my customers. I've got to understand my employees. I've got to understand the community. I've got, you know, there's a lot of different things I have to understand in, in order to set direction. It can't be a zero one game. I can't do all people, all mission. Either one of those is going to be a failing strategy. As the leader, I have to decide what that balance will be. If I take over an organization that's been pretty badly beat up, by someone who was mission, 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 I have to act a little differently than if I take over an organization that's well-balanced. However, I still can't make it zero mission, 100% people. I still have to have a balance. Maybe that balance is weighed a little more toward people. And one of the things that a leader typically can't uh, delegate is building the commitment to the team and uh, you can't build commitment from me. I'll use myself as an example. If I really believe in my heart, you don't care about me. Mm -hmm. And Pat, you see a lot of leaders, and I'm sure the question you get, because I get it a lot, is how do I get my subordinates, how do I get the people that I'm leading to, to take my coaching? And the question I say, well, what does it have to be? Well, it has to be accurate and uh, you know, doable and yada yada. And I, yeah, okay, that's that's cool. I, that's cool. But let me use myself as an example. If I know in my heart you care about me, mm -hmm. you can be brutal. I'll listen and I'll work on it. But if I'm a, if I have a little doubt about where you're coming from, I'm pretty thin-skinned. And so leaders have to understand the stakeholder requirements of their employees. If you have a hundred employees, you got a hundred different requirements. Now, and, and um, no leader has 100 direct reports, but, but you really have to, uh, it's interesting because we've talked about leadership systems for an hour now and we haven't gotten to one, you know, so uh, we'll have Kelly send out some examples of people that have listened to this series, but, but so uh, let me things we interrupt you. is go through the leadership system step by step and talk about what's in them. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, let me let me interrupt you again. I'm sorry. Uh, so so I think I actually did define a leadership system. Uh, I think you did too. Uh, so you know, let's, we'll go back to the notes later. I want to I want to hone in though on something that you just said, uh, and and really it's it's reflective of of the the overall conversation. 
Yeah, I, I just recently looked at a, uh, a longitudinal study of mentoring, structured mentoring in uh, organizations. And uh, what, what an abysmal performance over time uh, mentoring has had as, as programmatic, uh, systematic mentoring. And I think, John, what you just said is the number one reason for the failure of those mentoring programs in corporate America is because it has been wrongly focused on the mentor and not the mentee. And, and if the mentor is assigned and, and all they want to do is tell war stories about their successes in the past, hoping that it will somehow instruct the mentee, there's no love there, right? There's no care for the mentee. That's, that's really more of an ego-driven type of mentoring relationship versus a mentor that would come and talk to me about what I need and how my blind spots need to be cured uh, what kind of things could I do to grow and develop as a leader? You know, and I may not ever hear a story from that great mentor about what they did or how they approached the same problem because their, their mentality and their approach might be radically different than how I'm wired to do it, mm -hmm. right? And I, I keep thinking about General Patton in, in a way, you know, General Patton said, I never tell my troops, you know, how to do it. I, I tell them what I want, when I need it by and then they always amaze me with how quickly and, and how well they would have done it better than I did. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the mentoring thing really has to do with this notion of do I care about you or do I not? And do you care about me or do you not? And, and if, if we can close that gap and get caring from both the mentor and the mentee, you've got a great mentor relationship that, that transpires from there. And those, those are the ones in the study, by the way, that, that passed the test of time. Those people stayed close for years and years beyond the, the programmatic mentoring assignment. The, the ones that were much more ephemeral were the ones that had the least amount of care between the two participants. So I, I, I think it's an important thing to get on the note uh, on the record here. Thoughts about that, Pat? Yeah, I have to tell you, one of the things I encourage my very senior leaders is to find a millennial inside the organization and be shared mentors for each other because there's so much that that senior leader can teach the millennial, but there's a lot that that millennial can teach that senior leader. Um, and, and it is when that can happen, it's amazing. Um, and that's a very um, mutually respected, um, coming together. I need to understand something. Gee, I need to understand something. And it works so well versus if it's a, um, if it's, it's this idea of I'm your mentor, I'm going to show you the way. And instead coming together, we're going to find the way together. Huge, huge impact, huge difference. And I, I, I wish that there would be more of that going on internally. Um, I, I just think there's so much room for that. Pat, I, um, I was reflecting as Walt spoke on the greatest mentoring experience I had. I was mentoring a vice president of an aerospace company. And, you know, she and I would work together and work together and work together. And the thing that struck me about her, she virtually never walked out of the situation we were preparing her for and doing what we agreed she was going to do. <laughs> and I was so proud of her for that because, because, she would walk in and the situation was different. She had to make a battlefield decision. And it was almost like Eisenhower made the comment, he says, plans are nothing. 
planning is everything. Mm -hmm. And she and I would plan and talk about it. But when she walked in that room, she had to make a battlefield decision of what to do. It was rarely what we thought would happen because she would always be faced with something that was different. And, and to me, that was the epitome of preparing her to make the decision, not to make it for her. And, and she'd come out and say, well, I did the opposite of what we decided. And I was always so proud of her for that. Mm -hmm. I, I tell people, I think you can use three mentors. You, you can use a mentor outside the organization. Pat, you're a great example of that. A mentor outside the organization that can give you a broader scope of, of leadership than you can get inside. You need a mentor inside the organization at a higher level so they can, where you can meet with them 15 minutes a quarter or, you know, not much time, but they can give you a broader view of the organization. I don't think either of those are nearly as important as the third one. And the third one is what you just described. I need a mentor down in my organization that sees me day and night. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah so we've got only a few minutes left to, uh, to kind of wrap this up for today, guys. Uh, greatly appreciate the conversation. Uh, I've got just a one wrap-up question uh, to try to pull all this together real quick. And um, you know, so, so again, in the, the, the broad conversation about leaders, leadership systems, and culture, the, the, the question that, that pops for me is, who owns the culture? Who owns the leadership system? And then within the culture and the leadership system, what does a real leader own? And so, John, why don't you start, and then we'll let Pat close us out. There is no doubt who owns the leadership system. And it's not up for debate. It's the CEO. And every leader at every level should use it. They should tailor it to their own skills. They should work with it within their span of influence and their own skill set. But a leadership system's got to be owned by the CEO. Okay. The culture, and the reason I'm hesitating a little on culture is I've seen boards get more involved in, in culture, although they really don't, they really aren't there enough to know what the real culture is. I've seen an awful lot of boards that have a real no clue what the, what the culture is. But I think the CEO owns the culture as well. But there's got to be a strong recognition. The culture isn't the top 100 people in the organization. The culture is everybody. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think it comes from the top, um, sets the tone the, from a, a leadership point of view. Um, as I'm coaching, you know, and I'm asking people, you remember I said, go in and look at how people are operating. Um, watch what's really going on. Um, it's their job to, to observe, and when they, when they know that it's consistent, then they're going to, uh, you know, get in step with that, right? But they're watching the top leadership to get their signal, and then they're making sure that the messaging they're sending to their people is 100% consistent with that. And if there's a, a, a situation where it needs a change, it's that old criticize in private, you know, not in public. It's, it's you sit down and say, you may not be aware of this, and I know that this is important to you. There's a disconnect, right? So um, it absolutely comes from the top. I think the culture is everybody's responsibility, from the, the person mopping the floor um, to how careful they are for others coming along because in their culture, you know, respect for each other is important. So they put that, you know, that's what makes a, somebody mopping a floor put this caution sign up without being trained to put the caution sign up because the culture is we care for our people. That's, a, that's an auto for them, right? 
all the way up to the top. So every single person has to own it and live it every single day. So yeah, I, I use the phrase many times that a leader's actions must speak so loud that nobody can hear what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth of being a leader is you, you need to know that you're constantly being looked at totally. and that, that, you know, every little behavior, everything that's observable is, is a potential for a check on your congruency and, and yeah. is what you're saying matching up with what you're doing. And, uh, and, and again, you know, I think a, a lot of times the organizational folks are looking at the leader the same way that a child looks at the parent going, what's real, what's not real, what's, what are the rules, what are the, where are the places where there's no boundaries, what's going to be enforced, what's not going to be enforced. Uh, and, and John, you said it earlier on, I think, you know, you, whatever you tolerate, whatever you put up with, you get more of that, uh, right? Whatever and if you tolerate, it, if you can behavior And you tolerate it, you get more of it because people will see that you've tolerated it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though you, you decry that we don't do that here, right? As soon as you allow it to be done here and, and don't, don't follow through, then, then again, everybody gets that. So Kelly, we all hate that you are the CEO and you have this tremendous responsibility uh, for your organization. It's not a lightweight role that you've, uh, you've taken on there at, at QA. Um, greatly enjoyed the conversation today. Pat uh, Rambaletti, uh, again, go out on uh, Google, uh, Pat Rambaletti, and, and get her TED Talk. It's awesome. Uh, John Vineyard is a noted author and uh, has got, I think, what, seven books out now, John? Yeah, something like uh, that. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, again, a lot of great wisdom here. Uh, I really appreciate you guys joining us for this discussion today, and hopefully our CIO community uh, will really benefit from this conversation. Uh, so thank you very much. Kelly, back to you. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Walt. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, John. And thank you to the listeners. Uh, We look forward to the next conversation in this series at the Higher Gear CIO podcast series. Have a great day.